We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys, this is Liz Cambay. This is Nikki Collins. What up, guys? This is Ethan Clark. Hey, this is Imani Lee Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. WNBA Nation, welcome in. Uh, it is me, your host, Logan Jones, flanked by my co-host, Steve Schwartzman, in the building. How are you doing, Steve? Uh, it's me. I'm Steve. It's Final Four time. This always happens yeah. so fast. Yeah. it's. I think March might be the quickest month of the year. Um, we, we so quickly get from one weekend to the next, and now we've got the Final Four. Uh, this is our kind of Elite Eight reaction Final Four preview episode. Um, so if you've, if you've missed any of the previous episodes before this, uh, I mean, you can go back and listen to them and maybe, maybe they're really funny to listen to now because all of our predictions are probably wrong. Uh, but a couple of our predictions are a hundred percent correct, including <laughs> and especially Steve's final four picks. Steve, did how a, did you do it? I did. How a, did you do it? I did a good thing. It's just nice. <laughs> I did a nice thing. I feel good. I'm not even going to do the like, oh, I got lucky. I just feel nice. Um, but I, I mean, I think that some of the more particular predictions other people had that kind of swiped this, which probably would include Yukon and probably Indiana came out of the blue as well. I mean, that's one thing that's going to go underspoken on this as we discuss these matchups is that we're not discussing Yukon today. We weren't even discussing yeah. Utah, Yukon a round ago, which is, is insane. Like people talk about, Oh, the 14 year streak snapped. They had an 18 year elite eight streak that's now done and dusted. That thing, that streak graduated high school and now it's over. <laughs> and yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I mean, we're, we're kind of just talking final four teams today, but I do want to give, I guess, Yukon credit for getting as far as they did despite having about as many injury yeah. issues as you could have in a season. And to OSU, uh, I think Ohio State was one of those disappointing teams. Yeah. Uh, when we were looking at the bracket and we were looking at the end of the kind of the conference tourney season, we were kind of unsure about them because yep. of the talent that they had. I, and they started the season so hot. Yep. It was kind of good to see them put something together two, and make a little bit of a run. Two shout-outs I want to make to side to all that. One... um, we often do this when it comes to like leaving with grace, but Gino Ariyama's post game after the sweet 16 is one of those must watch experiences. Just the way he responded and handled it. Gino's not um, one to 
uh, turn away from an opportunity to not necessarily call player, players out, but he's often very <laughs> frank about performance with his team. Um, when as a, a team, he's done it before during the season, like this team's not ready, this team's not focused. Um, and this was one of those moments where he not only spoke really strongly of, of his squad, but also made some interesting points that I really appreciate, which is to say, I hope that this gives this understanding that all those years watching what we were able to accomplish, yeah. that we can do away with this idea that, oh, this was easy for them. He's like, it's really hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know if you understand, like, this is really difficult and, it, and it's credit to having players who've been able to gut this out and, and that idea of like, I think he knows he has the tools to do this again. People calling this the end of an era, like, this is literally a typical pause in an era. <laughs> You're adding Paige Beckers back to the same squad at a year. Things are going to get dirty. Uh, and, and for everyone, I think UConn will easily get back on, on the ride there. Um, we were really critical of Ohio State, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and I just want to make the one call out that if you're looking for, we have a really strong list of, you would almost call them superstar names in college right now. In fact, that's a point that a lot of people are getting new to the women's game yeah. are noting. We're starting to see stardom really strongly within the game grow and grow. The next level of those stars with this flush comes out is going to be led by Cody McMahon, I believe. I think that's the next big name. That's the biggest thing I took out of watching Ohio State, especially in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, is when the Taylor Mike Salera and, um, you know, that level comes, she's going to be the next lead. I don't expect to see Ohio State down for long. Um, and I have a couple other shout outs, but we're going to talk about them during the games. Um, this has been the 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 Elite Eight was just a cavalcade of fun. Yeah, it was a I great think pretty much every matchup uh delivered on the promise of potential great games, right? We had uh we had a Caitlin Clark, uh Haley Van Lith face off. Um which by the way, Louisville has kind of gone under the radar the last couple like they they've gone deep in the tournament a couple years in a row now, and it's on the back of a player that I think everybody who listens to this pod knows by name. Like we all know Van Lith is really good, but she hasn't been in the discussion for player of the year. She hasn't been in the like Aaliyah Boston, Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese tier for a lot of people. Maybe we rethink that a yeah. little bit after this run that they went but on. So that, to speak, a uh, handshake moment that went viral even <laughs> is, is supposedly due to lip readers. That's like a part of that moment was apparently calling her honorable mention or whatever, and it's interesting. And we're talking to a Louisville team that the, you had the A.D. Dura era, you had the Dana Evans era, both phenomenal players who led really good Louisville teams. And Van Lith has seen a Final Four, and she's seen, nearly saw another one. Um, I, I think Louisville has a lot to, to speak of as far as you know we have there. But yeah, that was the money matchup. And not only was it the money matchup, it was the viewer money matchup. We just recently oh, yes. saw two and a half million viewers. This outbooked any NBA game that was seen on ESPN. And a lot of people are going to find a way to try and fudge those numbers for a reason. Good luck on your end, because I just think optics wise, that's insanely impressive. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's beaten every NBA game this year, right? Like yeah. every ESPN NBA game this year, which is... Not everything needs to be held up to the standard of 
ESPN and NBA and men's basketball, but it's nice to put things in context. And it yeah. is, I've seen a lot of stuff from outside of the normal women's basketball channels this year, paying attention to the tournament and saying, Hey, like the, the superstars that are in the women's final four, which we're about to touch on in this episode and the talent that's in that tournament and the growth of women's basketball over the couple of years that like, I, I think five or six years now we've been covering the show. It's starting to, to turn a lot of heads and get a lot of attention and not just for people who want to see the sport grow, but just from general sports fans. Um, hopefully those are one and the same at some point, but <laughs> yes. Um, in terms of our other elite eight matchups, uh, Miami's run came to an end against LSU. LSU's just, they're a contender and you had that call. The rest of us had LSU out before the final four. Um, there, I mean, there's a reason they've lost like two games all season. Uh, they also, LSU got past Utah in a really good game. The two seed in that region, and then put it close. They held Miami to, to 42 points in kind of a low scoring. Yeah, that was a, a bit of fest. a slog. At, I think it was a bit of a slog in the first half. It then became more of a defensive game. Like people might call this a defensive game start to finish. It was not in the first half. That yeah, was just really hard to get. Like players were having difficulty offensively, but it was very much a defensive run. And, um, I mean, Angel Reese was all over the board. I mean, 13 points, 18 boards, it, which by the way, boards in the teens to twenties with Angel Reese is such a norm. <laughs> it's kind of insane. Alexis Morris dropped 21. She looked really solid. Um, the, uh, Miami's Jasmine Roberts drops 22 points. She's the only player to score more than four points on her roster. <laughs> it, it was just an interesting, I don't know if it was just the tank ran out or the wheels came off what it was for Miami, but it, it showed that, that is a wild stat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she, she dropped 22. The next best players were Spearman and Dwyer with four points, both off the bench. Um, Destiny Harden only dropped three. Williams only had three. Haley Kavner had a bucket. Uh, you know, it was an interesting game. And I don't know if this tells you that maybe Miami's a, a piece separated from being a next level contender. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it was just, uh, it, you know, facing up against an LSU team and it's just a mixture they weren't ready for. I don't know. Um, but that was an interesting game. But I think you could say a lot about, the 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 star power that that Reese brought, I think Morris has looked really good. Flo J Johnson, I mean they they've showed matchup to matchup. But the one thing I'll say, um, it, it'll be interesting to see where we grade. We'll, we may do this at the end of the episode. It'll be interesting to see where we grade their stock because you could also claim that LSU walked into Greenville and escaped two matchups. Now the Miami one score wise doesn't feel that way. But that was just a matter of who's going to start actually making shots first. It was eight to ten after the first quarter, and Utah. You could argue if if Jenna Johnson makes two free throws at the end of that game, we're talking about a Utah Miami matchup. Yeah, the U versus yeah. the U. That's and we we have to. Yeah, we have to touch on that one, I guess, because I, I know getting ready for the Final Four. By the time you guys listen to this episode, it'll feel like the Sweet Sixteen, the Elite Eight games were a long time ago. But yeah, Utah should have had a chance in overtime in that game. Um, I just didn't. 
<laughs> it's, it's too yep. bad, man. So that was it, a hard one to watch. It'll be interesting to see where we sense their stock, especially against a Virginia Tech yeah. squad that, um, for a team that a lot of people didn't have a lot of stock in them as a one seed, um, have pretty well run the show against every opponent. It's, yeah. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I, I was going to jump to the South Carolina Maryland game, but we will continue to bury that lead until, uh, until that'll be the last <laughs> lead matchup that we talk about. Cause now that we're on Virginia Tech, I did want to, uh, to highlight, I, I think LSU has had the better regular season. They have the, the kind of the flashier stat grabbing, uh, headline grabbing player in Angel Reese. And they've, I mean, they've gone through tough teams. They beat Princeton, they beat Utah, they beat Miami on, you know, Miami was really feeling it by the time that they went up against LSU. So that's nothing to scoff at. I almost feel like it's overshadowed how Virginia Tech has played in this tournament until now. I think this week people are finally paying attention to the Hokies as a legitimate contender. Because if you're in the final four, you're a contender. That's just how it is. Two games away from a championship. Um, uh, A 12 point win over San Diego State didn't give them, I, I think, enough praise. Uh, San Diego State was a good team. They they beat Tennessee pretty handily. It, it wasn't in hand the entire game, but they went and did their job against a Tennessee team that really wanted to prove that they weren't the frauds that we all thought they were all year long. Um, <laughs> which mm-hmm. that feels like a strong word for me. I I don't hate this Tennessee team by any means, but they just they beat the teams that they were supposed to beat, and then they lost to every top twenty five team that they played like all year long. So uh, it's just hard for me to see them as anything but. Kind of just the, I don't know. They're they're good, not great. Virginia Tech handled them, and then they ended Ohio State's run. After I mean, Ohio State took out North Carolina. They took out Connecticut. You you have to feel good if you're a team that beats UConn to get to the the Elite Eight because that hasn't been done in however many fourteen years. Uh, they put that to rest as well, and they did every one of. I, I mean, they won what. 12 points, 9 points, 10 points. Like These have not been buzzer-beatery type games for the Hokies. They've really been handling business and doing it with good mm-hmm. team basketball. And I think my biggest concern for them is their bench depth, which we will maybe talk about yes. uh, when it comes to previewing the LSU matchup. But it hasn't bitten them yet. And it, I, it's surprising to me that it didn't bite them against Tennessee yeah. or Ohio State. So there's a real... I think they have a real shot. Um, yep. They they're in this thing, and they're not just honorary feel good story in the way uh, of LSU's championship hopes. They're a legitimate yep. threat to to getting to the, to the championship game. Ohio State is the only team to hold a lead for any amount of time against Virginia Tech in this tournament. Virginia Tech has trailed one, at, you know, for a chunk of minutes against Ohio State, and that's it. I think that gives you an indicativeness of how efficient Virginia Tech has been, but also the talent level that OSU brought to the table is really, really strong. Um, but I mean, this was for a lot of people, the Georgia Amor show that's saying that's also assuming you don't realize that Liz Kitley dropped 25 and 12 at, with three blocks in, in that performance mm-hmm. as well. I know her father's very excited about that. Um, but like Amor has become kind of the new unspoken, almost kind of, I mean, Caitlin Clark's been a lot of the discussion. We bring up Angel Reese a lot. You can't not bring up names like Aaliyah Boston and Zaya Cook when you talk about South Carolina. Amor has been that kind of, that Daniel Bryan-esque quiet voice that's also like, hey, but what about <laughs> what about this? Yeah. Um, and it's been super fun to watch. Her, uh, her buzzer beater to end the third 
um, was one of my favorite plays of the entire tournament. I'd so that was such a fun. I mean, she just went east west east west and then just drained one to end the quarter. It was awesome. Um, so I like Vatek. This it's one of my favorite starting fives to watch. I mean, they have to be well oiled because, like you said, depth is not their strength. Um, but they're one of my favorite. They they have a mixture of ingredients that just flows with this five. They're fun to watch offensively. You've been heralding this all season when no one was paying attention to Virginia Tech. Um, and they're just really fun and fluid to watch. They remind me a lot of Iowa in that way of just, they have the pieces that complement each other so well that just to be able to watch what they do is, is a lot of fun. So, um, it'll be interesting. I think the LSU Virginia Tech matchup is so intriguing because it could truly go so many directions. Um, either team has the talent base to just take over. This could also yeah. be the battle of the ages. It, it's it's a very interesting microcosm. Yeah, let's talk about I, I was going to skip to South Carolina, but then it'll just be, at this point, it'll feel out of order. So we'll talk about LSU, Virginia Tech, and then we'll hop to the other side of the bracket. Um, we've already mentioned Virginia Tech's depth could be a potential issue. To me, it feels like even though... I mean, we've we've got a one and a two and a three and a one seeding wise in the final four. It kind of feels like to me, Virginia Tech is the longest shot to win it all at this point. They they feel like again, if you're in the final four, you're in it. If you're a contender, you've got a chance. It feels like they have the kind of the longest odds, and I think that comes from LSU has battled through a bunch of tough games already, and their the regular season schedule. Is, is basically unmatched. I mean, it was basically, if you're not South Carolina, you're not beating these guys. Angel Reese is such a huge part of that. I know <laughs> the show has stated opinions about Kim Mulkey that are not positive. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not shying away from those. I'm not a, I'm not a Kim Mulkey fan, but it is in a way it is. I, I again, I wish it wasn't Mulkey specifically in this is you'll get what I'm saying. It's inspiring to see a team like LSU be able to hit the transfer portal in the off season and bring someone like Angel Reese in who can then turn the programmer. I mean, I know it's not a one woman team. There's other players there that are making a difference. And, and I know we're just harping on kind of the big names here, but the point is I, we're looking at teams in like Iowa state could go out this off season and get themselves into angel Reese and be in the final four next year. That's the landscape of college basketball right now. That's why the men's bracket is a like disaster, by the way, like it's just complete chaos disaster in the best way. I don't mean that it's a bad thing. I, I love seeing a group of five schools and non blue bloods in the final four. Um, but that's the, the parody that's hitting college basketball across the board, men's and women's, I, I think is more surprising to see on the women's side because it's been dominated by a handful of teams for so long. And Angel Reese is a case study in if you have a coach that can go out and just get that one centerpiece, you're, you have a final four run in you. That's that's the reason that Caitlin Clark is considering staying another two years in college instead of yeah. making the jump to the pros. Because yeah. this is... Something we could see from Iowa for another two seasons. I think the the mixture of NIL and uh, transfer the the transfer portal microcosm has created uh, a change into how talent's distributed and the effect that talent distribution has. And and to 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 credit the Benz tournament, that's made itself ever present because there are players who have been able to say instead of being 
fifth out of five on a group of, of overly one star or like five star talented SEC teams. Um, like I'm going to make my way over to, I couldn't even, th- you know, FAU and suddenly make something happen. Right. And there's an element of that that we've seen here. And listen, I've been as openly critical and bombastic about how I feel about Kim Mulkey as a person pretty loudly. It's probably annoyed people by now. At no point am I judging her ability to coach basketball. I'm not going to stand here and say she's been to, was it four or five final fours for a reason. I'm not saying Kim Mulkey can't coach basketball because she clearly can. And I credit the administration at LSU for being able to add such a star in Angel Reese and immediately work her into yes. a basketball to immediately make the soup work for good. Because I'll say this about Angel Reese. It goes beyond how talented she is. She is one of those types of players that enhances the, the, the effectiveness of every single person she plays with. She's definitely a team player. You definitely tell there's a chemistry there and she's helping build other names. And like you, you have a lot of credit you can give to Flo J. Johnson. You can give to Alexis Morris. That team is full of talented stars. Um, but to be able to drop a new ingredient into a hat and, and make it work within the system is incredibly impressive. That doesn't always play out that way. And I'm, you know, you can really see the effect that that's had. And that's, you know, good for them. That's, that's exciting. I, I, secretly didn't want to see them be this successful because of, of my personal <laughs> feelings about a coach. But one, I predicted them getting this far. And two, I, like I can't say I'm surprised because they've put this, they've not only been a good team, they've been an intimidatingly good team and something they've done that I would even say South Carolina hasn't had a chance to do. They've been frequently tested this year and have withstood those tests multiple times. Yeah. Um, they've probably been as battle tested as any team. Oh, Iowa pretty strongly has been battle tested a lot, but they've, they've come up against some heavy hitters and have found their way up and over. And that's, that's a pretty big yeah, deal. I think, I think their only two losses on the season are South Carolina, which feels obvious. And then Tennessee, which is ironic because if LSU goes on to win the championship, it'd be very funny if Tennessee's only top 25 win was over the eventual champions. <laughs> and also how I just, I just realized that would be humorous. And also the fact that like, say LSU finds their way, like we very nearly had a situation where LSU could have avenged both of their losses on their way to a title. True. If Tennessee, if Tennessee finds a way to beat Virginia tech, that was the storyline and no one loves a narrative more than you and I. Uh, <laughs> so it's always interesting that way, but, but, but we love uniforms more. Uh, so the Virginia so tech LSU matchup is going to be awesome. This, this is going to be such an interesting game. Uh, this, this is a bad way to judge a game most of the time, but it's such a gap between how these two teams like to play. LSU likes to score 82 points a game. Virginia tech holds teams to 57 a game. Uh, pretty much nobody is contained to Angel Reese all year. I don't expect even Virginia Tech to be able to, to put a lid on her. But if they can keep, like, I, I think Flojay's had a couple not so productive games. I think if they can keep the supporting cast down, you still might see Virginia Tech able to slow this game down and make it like a first to 65 wins type of game. Uh, if it's, if it's like, if if it's like a track meet early and LSU is putting up like 20 points in a quarter early, uh, then I think you know how the game's going to go. 
That's that's mm-hmm. my the faster and higher scoring it is, the more it's going to favor the Tigers. That's that's my very broad sense of how this game will go. Yeah, I think the the Kitley Reese matchup is going to be the talk of this um of this entire matchup. I think you're going to see uh a lot of of bear down uh, about that because of just the names involved. Um points wise uh, like uh, as far as offensively, I'm not I think Virginia Tech can survive the idea of let Reese do what Reese wants to do with that. Where they can't afford an explosion on Angel's end is on the boards. Uh, and yeah. you know, they have a player in Liz Kitley who just, like I said, just dropped 25 and 12 has been regularly crashing the boards really well. Um, soul has done a really good job as a, as kind of a backup, as far as that front court looks. And they're a decent fair to medium rebounding team in the backcourt. If they can be, they have to find a way to make it like, like Angel Reese can score a double double. She can't have 20 and 20. And here's the problem. Angel Reese dropping 20 and 20 isn't exactly like a eye dropping thing anymore. It's kind of just a thing she does. Uh, and you, you have to find a way to mitigate that as much as you can and frustrate her on the boards because that's, that creates foul trouble, which would be a boon for you. Um, and that helps regenerate offense because at the end of the day, this matchup comes down to possessions. I think it simply just comes down to who is able to create more scoring opportunities for each other. Shooting wise, I think it's in Virginia Tech's favor, but I think LSU has a great amount of ability to control the baseline, to control mid range, to control under the basket. Um, and it sounds weird because they're more of the scoring happy team, but slow the game down in such a way that it overwhelms Virginia tech. So this matchup is just, it's really intriguing. It kind of comes down to whose yeah. chess pieces move, move the quickest. Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah. I do worry about Angel Reese on the boards. Um, I think, the problem again with facing Reese is she can have a bad shooting night. She can go three for 15 and still do enough to help her team win the game. Mm-hmm. I think if she has that type of night against Virginia tech, the Okies stand a really good chance. Uh, but even then it's just, it's hard. It's hard. I, I think Virginia tech needs to have an above average night from the perimeter. They have some good perimeter shooters, but I don't know how much I trust them in a game this big. Frankly, like I know yeah. they've shown up in the tournament since, uh, but this is for a, this is to stamp your ticket to the final. And a lot of times those teams that rely on three point shooting will get tight uh, when, when it matters most. And I hope that doesn't happen, but uh, you need someone like uh, a more to go out and hit a couple threes and put pressure. You, you need to pull that defense outside as much as you can, because the paint is going to be a struggle and offensive boards and things like that are going to be, almost non-existent against this LSU team. Yeah. Uh, ultimately my prediction, as you can probably guess by the slant I've taken on this discussion, the whole, the whole way is I think LSU has the edge and that the Tigers are going to put an end to the Hokies run here, but that is not my hope. I hope Virginia tech actually gets to the final because I, I would really like to see them face either Iowa or South Carolina, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, if, if you had your druthers, would you want LSU for your bracket? Would you want Virginia Tech because they're fun? Uh, and then who do you think is actually going to pull it off? I don't know if that's the correct use of druthers. Um, 
Now, I think I think you might you might have hit that on the head. I love watching this Hokies team play. I think I love I like watching LSU because they have talented players, star level players, and it goes beyond Angel. I think that's what you watch with Alexis Morris. I think Flo J is is going to be that. I mean, she's just a freshman and is showing well beyond uh, that ability. Um, but this Virginia Tech team is simply fun to watch play basketball. Kayla King, um, on top of, um, Amor and Kitley. I, I think this is a really fun team that I, I would enjoy seeing them get a, a legitimate shot, um, at whether it's South Carolina, you know, where it's number one versus number one. I, or the, the chance of, you know, the, the fun dream wrestling matchup of Amor versus Caitlin Clark, I think it's probably one of the more interesting just to, you know, who's going to yeah. shoot who out of the gym is an interesting <laughs> play there. Um, but, and I'm not just saying this for my bracket, um, LSU just seems to know how to mitigate offensively sound teams and frustrate them enough to take over games. Um, and unfortunately, I think they, I think Virginia Tech fits a very similar recipe or very similar MO that you saw out of Utah at the very least that Miami has shown at times, uh, you know, when Miami was hot, they were red hot. Uh, but if you can get them off their rhythm, it's really difficult. And, and LSU has shown their ability to cross those wires enough for those teams enough to take things over. So that's how I would expect things to go. Um, but I'd love to see the Hokies in that final, if for nothing else, because um, we still need an appearance of the the chest script Hokie uniforms, which are the best in sports. Yes, uh, and we have we that getting them to the final increases that chance by two. So I, I'd like to see that happen. But um, as, as it stands right now, I, I would take LSU. But I think this will be. Uh, an extremely close matchup. I think this will be a really, really fun yeah. uh, matchup. And you would hope the other matchup is the same, but there's a really good chance that things are as, as, uh, as history yeah. has shown us maybe different. I think, uh, I think if you're Virginia tech, you watch the Utah tape, um, because even though Utah ended up losing that game, that's a pretty good template on how to deal with this LSU team. And that's pretty much exactly the type of game and the type of score you want to see. Uh, if you want a chance in this one, so five words, baby. Uh, that that I mean, that Utah team is the best perimeter shooting team in the country, which is why I think that's going to be key to this matchup. But ultimately, we are both taking LSU in this matchup if we are forced to pick, which leads us to the other side of the bracket. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Um, we did not touch on the South Carolina-Maryland game. That's the one Elite Eight game that we didn't touch on. Uh, pretty evenly matched game. Maryland dominant in the tournament up until that point. To me, this game just proved why South Carolina is the champs, or at least the reigning champs. I'm not declaring anything for this year just yet. But um, Maryland came out unintimidated, got South Carolina on their heels a little bit, obviously proved an ability to score. Diamond Miller's a stud. Um, and then South Carolina's been playing teams and opponents of this caliber all year. So they responded, answered the call, pretty much led the rest of the way after that initial burst from Maryland and ended up getting a win. Although I know Terps fans were a little perturbed by uh, some of the calls towards the end of the game. Felt like the free throw disparity mattered. I didn't really get that sense too much. But uh, any impressions about that game, Steve, before we jump to South Carolina, Iowa? I'm not going to say that the three the the foul disparity would have made an overall difference at the end of this game. But I will say that that type of thing is, is in many ways a calling card for the Gamecocks because the truth of it is this is a team that's often outsizes out muscles and really deals better under the basket than any team in college basketball full stop. And I've often said this to you guys, there is kind of a pattern in their games. I think they enjoy taking that first quarter to test a team's metal. Like, let's see what you're made of and see if we can match things up uh, player to player in one way. And if a team makes them feel the heat, which Maryland very much did, you know, we're halfway through the second quarter, they scooped up a lead. And then all of a sudden you started to see them hit two young, you know, you know, too early young blood like mode where <laughs> they get under the basket. They throw a little bit of their shoulders around. I'm not saying they literally do that, but I say they use their ability of size to get to the line, draw fouls, set a pace under the basket and start to flow that around. So that um, basically Maryland's forced to play their game. Uh, and then from there you take over before you know it, they're up like they when they start doing that they find a 10 point lead uh like before you can blink and then it just starts to feel like it's just winding the opponent down until the game's over um and they were able to hit that but Maryland came out really hot they they started that off i think what it comes down to is do we have an adjustment strategy for when south carolina is able to use their prowess to take the game over. Like, do we have that ability uh, to respond to that? And I don't know if I saw it in Maryland, but I, you know, giving credit to Maryland, we just credited LSU for picking up Angel Reese and working her into their system. Maryland losing Angel Reese was just one piece of the pie for a team that lost so many key players to the transfer portal. Their ability to get to the elite eight, how they did is insanely impressive. One of the most impressive team performances, I'd say, of the entire season, given what they were able to do. So you credit them that far, um, but they were just one of those teams that I don't think match up in. And the Maryland were one of those teams that took a shot at South Carolina earlier this year. It went about the same. Um, but you you hand Maryland a lot of, you know, Diamond Miller, who we expect to see very early in the draft this year, you know, Sellers, Pins, and Myers. This was a, you know, they put up good numbers. They put up a, a sound effort, and it just was one of those things that uh, 
South Carolina just knows how to quietly take games over. Aaliyah Boston knows how to um, drop 22 and 10, and you barely even realized she was in the game. Like, not that things weren't impressive, but she's just one of those. Everyone hates the, the male comparison. I get it. But maybe you'll appreciate this, but she's just, she's Tim Duncan, man. <laughs> she just knows how to put it together. And this is someone that like, yeah. some players, when it comes to their scoring prowess, you can give some credit to their ability, for instance, to get to the free throw line or anything like that. Um, and you can add that. Maddie Seagrist was one, you know, she dropped like 25 or 31 points. 14 of them came from the line. She was two for two from the foul line. I mean, she was putting in real work. 10 to 14 from the field. Uh, you know, I, that's, this is why Aaliyah Boston is going to be the number one pick and might potentially be a savior boon for the Indiana fever <laughs> because of this kind of basketball. So, um, there you have it. I mean, I, I liked watching the Maryland team. I watched, I liked watching Maryland play all season. It just felt like, um, the answers just weren't quite there. I think you need some depth. And you need to find an ability to maintain yourself once your A strategy goes off the table. Uh, can you find a way to force South Carolina to play your game? No one in 36 tries has done it yet. Yeah. Right. So that's Maryland's biggest problem easily is that they're not South Carolina, it, um, which is, I know, pithy, but that's, that's ultimately yeah, what the analysis are, comes down to. Who, believe it or not, who they thought we were, they were, yeah. who they thought they were. I didn't even get that is one that, right. That's very much uh, my line of thinking when it comes to this matchup against Iowa. Iowa, of course, the two seed out of the Seattle four region, but uh, a team that I think many thought should have been a one seed, potentially over Stanford. Yep. Um, Stanford, a distant memory at this point. Feels like we haven't talked about them forever. Um, Iowa comes in with obviously a very special scorer in Caitlin Clark uh, to face off against Celia Boston in the matchup of like the, I'm assuming the top two player of the year candidates. Um, I can't imagine even with how good Angel Reese has been in the tournament. I, I think that's safe to say. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, um, in addition to Caitlin Clark, you have Steve's, the apple of Steve's eye, Monica Zanano down low. Um, this is a really fun, really high Love scoring, it. really good Iowa team. And again, I'm, I'm just going to repeat this because I think it's the simplest way to put it. Their biggest problem is that they're just not South Carolina. And this is a historically good college basketball team coming in from, from SC. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm most interested in in this matchup is what coach Don Staley's approach to Caitlin Clark is going to be, because I could see it going either extreme. I could, I could see her saying, Hey, let Caitlin Clark beat us if she wants to take 40-foot <laughs> jumpers from way outside. Yep. Do it. If she wants to put up 40 against us, do it. But we're going to out-physical and outsize and out-aggressive them everywhere else. Like in, anywhere inside the perimeter is our house. They're not going to get anything easy. They're not going to get any rebounds. I, I've seen that work. I, that's how teams used to play the Dirk Nowitzki Dallas Mavericks. They'd just be like, Dirk, go off. We're just going to shut down everybody else. And it would usually work. Um, I could see that being the strategy here, but I could also see coach Staley in the locker room giving like the remember the Titans speech where Mm. she's like, we're not going to give Caitlin Clark anything. Like we're going to go out and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. Like 
doesn't matter how special of a scorer you are. Like, we're the champs and we're going to be the champs again. I could, like, legitimately, they're going to go out and play well and play with pride and play physical no matter what. Yep. I'm just interested to see is their approach going to be sell out on Caitlin Clark and don't let her get anything and make someone else on that team beat you or let her do whatever she wants and basically just use five defenders on the other four players and just absolutely shut down any sort of movement and rhythm in this offense outside of Clark. I expect them to have that shutdown mentality, but actually more specifically for Warnock and Zanano. Yeah. Um, I think the two things that they're going to be able to do there, for Iowa to be successful in this game, Monica Zanano needs more than 26 minutes on the court. Um, they were able to withstand Louisville doing that, but they can't. You know, they need better availability from their bigs, um, which means, you know, like you can't rely on 20 minutes from Stolke. That just can't happen in this case. And I think that what you do, one, is you get any firepower you have under the basket, obviously, on the bench, which is helpful. But you take away a lot of Clark's ability to make plays. Let's keep in mind, this is a player who over half, I believe it's closer to 60%. I forget the actual percentage. It's insane, insanely impressive um, of this team's scoring is credited to Clark in some fashion, whether she assists or or scores herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you take a lot of that ability away with her ability to feed and pocket pass to these bigs under the basket because that's been their strength and that's been their calling card. And Carolina knows how to shut down bigs. They know how to set, you know, get people in foul trouble, how to disrupt their flow. And Monica Zano, I've talked about all season, is all about flow. I think she's the best <laughs> technical big in the country. She's the best footwork of any player in the country. She, she's that talented with it. And do they, do they have the ability to shut that down? Quite possibly. That makes Gabby Marshall's job very intriguing because I think, um, if she puts up a similar performance that we saw out of her against Louisville, that really helps their case. Kate Martin wasn't leaned on as hard, um, as you know, offensively, but I think you're going to see Clark feed her quite a lot more than, than before. I think you're going to see a, a heavy shooting route, you know, route that way. But if I were Iowa, I would try and feed Warnock and Zanano as much as you can early on to try and establish that game. Because I think you are correct, Logan, in that um, I think South Carolina sees it of, you know, if Clark drops 30 points, that's fine. What yeah. we can't have is 30 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. Let's let's get her to be forced to distribute less. Yeah. And Turn take up some of that ability. And I think even, that's even what that, puts them. Yeah. Yeah. Even if that one dimension is Caitlin Clark scoring from the outside, which is fun to watch. I think uh, they're really going to suffer. I I like Monica Zanano a lot. I think she's in for a long night on the defensive side of the court. Um, this yeah. is, this is an IO team that we've, we've kind of said all along, like they're, they're among the more elite scoring teams in the country. They don't have that rim protector. Mm-hmm. And against a team like South Carolina, that's going to want to, <laughs> they, they are fine playing slow, shooting, shooting foul shots all night long, getting, you know, I, just cleaning up the boards, 
I, it's a lot of what Aaliyah Boston does so well is not very flashy, but she's going to shine in this game because it's going to show like, oh, every it's going to feel like every big rebound goes her way. Every, you know, anytime South Carolina needs a bucket, they know they can go inside and get one close to the hoop. And it just feels like Iowa is not built to, to beat this team defensively. Um, that said, they've beaten a lot of good teams all year long in really good, fun, electric games. I keep thinking about that uh, Iowa-Indiana game at the end of the regular season, which was a lot of fun. So they can hang. Iowa finds a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're kidding ourselves if we think that both Iowa and South Carolina haven't been eyeing each other all season long and probably game planning for one another all season long. Um, not necessarily like running drills in practice to beat one another, but both of those coaches have, I think, been looking at this a long time coming and saying, hey, if you know, if we face Aaliyah Boston or if we face Kaylin Clark, like what what's the plan gonna be? So I don't think either of them are gonna come into this game unprepared for what is sure to be uh I mean it's it's gonna be two of the best players in college. It, to me, I keep cutting myself off with new uh things that I want to say about this game, but to me the the big thing here is I think the women's tournament this year has bigger names in the final four than the men's. Um Ooh. which is fun. I it's nothing wrong with either way, but um, it's fun to see a matchup like this where it's like two players we've been talking about all season long in the final four. Cause a lot of times in a single elimination tournament, that just isn't what ends up happening. Um, mm. I, I think WWE style, they should just hang the player of the year trophy 50 feet above mid court. And they should just <laughs> play the entire game with it right there. Um, no, that's absurd. But I, I just, I enjoy that we're going to see these, these teams face off because I think we've sort of wanted to see it all year long. And it almost just kind of makes sense. that This is the result that we're getting. Well, when it comes down to it, I see very little chance of Iowa winning the game (laughs) for, for a highly anticipated matchup between players who I really like on both sides. I actually feel very confident picking South Carolina here because they're not just a good college basketball team this year. They're one of the best college basketball teams you'll ever see. This is an interesting case. This matchup is full of two very stacked starting fives. I think I I think South Carolina obviously uh wins the depth game. But I think you have to kind of just go past the headliners of these rosters and determine who is going to be uh that step up individual. Now, watching the final four last year for South Carolina, that was Destiny Henderson. That she, you know, she stepped up in a huge yeah. way in that final four. And I think it's why things went as smooth as it did for South Carolina. And I think this year it's going to be Zach Cook, who's been great all year. It's not like, oh, you come out of nowhere, but it's going to be Boston's going to get what Boston gets. And if Cook gets what Cook gets on top of it, there's just about no way of beating this team. And we've seen effective performances out of Gabby Marshall and out of, out of Warnock. And obviously Zanano has been. That one-two punch, the law firm, as they call them, Clark and Zanano. Um, <laughs> I, and you have to see that efficiency because I think Clark is going to get her shots up. And, but we've seen games where she has been quieted a little bit. And there have been team, teams who've defensively have been able to get her frustrated. And that's going to make things tough on their end. And what is, but, but if Marshall, for instance, plays hot early and is able to get some shots up and open some space. 
make those defenders honest. We're talking about probably the best rebounding backcourt uh, we've seen in years um, out of Zy Cook and Bree Beal. And are we able to force them to be honest and stretch out a defender over to mm-hmm. Marshall to give some more open looks for Clark late? That's a big boon for them. But that means, you know, right now the Hawkeyes need five players doing their job to an exceptional ability uh, to win. I don't think South Carolina has to lean that hard on all five of their starters playing at that ability. Because I think if Boston, Beal, and Cook do their job, you're probably in the front running. So that's why it seems like such an easy job for them. Um, but I will say they've had a few teams who have, who have tried to give them a fight at least early. I mean, Ole Miss took them to an OT, but outside of that, most teams, they've been able to put some early teams. If there's a team that might be able to wriggle their way into making some electricity <laughs> happen in a second half against South Carolina, this Iowa team has shown it to happen. I mean, they, they took down <clears throat> Indiana when Indiana seemed close to unbeatable in the Big Ten. Uh, so maybe there's some high potential there, but again, it, it's, it, it, is this us just trying to add some spice to the inevitable? I don't know. I, I don't know. Cause I, I hear you and I believe what I just said a minute ago where I, I think South Carolina doesn't even necessarily have to play like their best possible game in order to win here. I mean, they're an elite offense and defense going up against an Iowa offense that's great, but a defense that is like 300th plus in points allowed in the paint in the country. Like they're, that is their weak spot. And that is a strength of South Carolina. And you'd look at that on paper and say, Oh, this is going to be a slaughter. It's not though, because Iowa has had that defense all year and look at how far they've come. I mean, they, they, they've gotten past teams in this tournament that, like, like they got past Louisville by putting up 97 points. <laughs> yep. It's a really good team that was playing really well. So they find a way. And if maybe if there was any team that could just find a way through sheer attitude, <laughs> it would be Iowa. Yeah. It, it might require you, you started talking about the starting five and I was immediately thinking, I don't know who's on the end of the bench for the Iowa Hawkeyes, but you might need every foul you can spare. To, to, I mean, maybe this game lasts three and a half hours because you keep putting South Carolina on the line, but maybe that's better maybe than, than just letting them get easy points inside. Make it, if, if they're going to be physical with you, those, yeah. those players that play limited minutes, it's time to step up because yeah. they're going to need every foul they can get. Precisely. And that's where it gets interesting. <laughs> At the end of the day, the storyline here is going to be one team is either going to cap off and coronate one of the most dominant seasons that we've ever seen, or one of three teams is going to pull off one of the most historic upsets in the final four that yeah. we've ever seen. And that's, that's the story that's set in play in, in many ways. We've talked to too much wrestling here in many ways. This is the tribal chief. This is the bloodline. Uh, this is big time Bex. Uh, this is, you know, uh, a dominant champion coming to court and does it, you know, is there a team that has that mixture, whether it's Iowa or this mixture, Maryland, LSU? Does LSU have enough venom in them after the, a loss, which was not a fun loss, a pretty embarrassing loss early in the season, South Carolina to, to get some vengeance? Um, <clears throat> you know, does, 
Virginia Tech have the the underdog mentality. Is Iowa going to step up and make this a cinematic Disney moment? I don't think so, but I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my um, frankly, my dream matchup in the final, and this is nothing against South Carolina LSU. I I think we have a Final Four where every pos- possible matchup is incredible. Um, and I'm not just saying that because we have a podcast and we're talking about it, but really we've, we've got a yeah. good mix here. My dream matchup is probably Hawkeyes Hokies. Um, mm. that's, that's what I'd like to see. What I think we're going to see if I had to bet money, it would be South Carolina LSU. I just, mm-hmm. it seems like that's how it's going. Um, and if, if someone is going to disrupt that, it really feels like Virginia Tech would be the one to disrupt that because mm. it just feels like South Carolina is inevitable. Um, but it's really hard to go undefeated, Steve. <laughs> it's really yeah. tough. Even with even with Don Staley as a coach, even with Zia Cook and Leah Boston as your as your pillars. I don't know. Team, and and we, across we historically in, the, in sports, how yeah. many times have we seen it get here? Kentucky, yes. the yes. Patriots, uh UConn yeah, the, in was it twenty eighteen with UConn yeah, had the an final record. The final four is special because even though I, this is, goes counter to some things I've said in this episode, every one of these teams can win it all. You yeah. don't get this far. You don't, you can't get lucky through your entire region enough to make the final four. You have to earn your way to the final four. And if you're that good, you're in the mix. So yeah, there is no definitive thing you can say other than it really feels like these. These Gamecocks in particular are a very special group and it, it's hard to see them losing. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to these matchups. This is going to be big time. I pretty much stand with you. If I had to predict, I would say South Carolina over LSU, but, um, I think whatever matchup we have, we have a breed for some excitement. So that's pretty huge. Um, <laughs> just, uh, and- bear in mind throughout all of this analysis that I had Indiana in my, in my bracket in the final. So maybe. Maybe it means nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't always get things correct. So good luck to all four fan bases who are going to be rooting on uh, these teams this weekend. Steve and Kyle, of course, will be on location in Dallas this weekend. So if you see them around, give them a... I mean, I'm volunteering you guys. I'm not going to be there, but I'm I'm assuming you're fine with people coming up and saying hi to you. Jason as well. I guess he won't be as on location because he he lives there, but he will be... (laughs) Guiding with us, but we're yes. extremely excited. Yes. The podcast will be in town. Uh, one of the coolest things about going to the Final Four last year was just getting to interact with people that Absolutely. drove across the country to be there in Minneapolis. Uh, hopefully, many of you will be there in Dallas this week because that's just really, really cool. So, yeah, um, please bug us, please, please. If you see us and you want to say hi, that's all we will want you to do. Just please come talk to us. We would love that. So. Awesome. Final four. It's happening. That's, that's a wrap for, uh, for our final four preview. Uh, I, man, I will, we'll have to, to coordinate how we want to, uh, preview the championship game after these games are played. But until then, you can find us at all the usual places on Twitter yes. at WMB Nation Pod, on everywhere else online at WMBNation.com, merch store, five star reviews, all that good stuff. You, you know the drill by now. Absolutely. Uh, Steve, any further thoughts? Uh, Just one, and I'll make it super quick, but Seattle Storm, way to be, doing it the right way. They just announced a practice facility coming up for the Storm. 
Really exciting news for them. I'm, we're hoping more teams follow suit. I think the Aces aren't far behind. Um, hopefully this is the start of a trend within WNBA teams to put together some exciting benefits for, for players that it would include these types of facilities. So kudos to the storm for making that happen. Yes. Um, we're excited to see how that plays out. I just thought y'all deserved shout outs. There you have it. Um, yes. NWSL has officially kicked off as well. So get into that in a super big way. Uh, my, my Utah Royals are returning next season and I can't wait for that. But until then we have some exciting matchups that have already been taking place. So get into that as well. Yes. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the storm story actually, because even though we're wrapping this episode up, um, we are WNBA nation and we will be talking WNBA basketball as soon as this college season wraps up. Obviously the college season rolls right into the draft, uh, which we will be covering in full. Uh, we will then be previewing all the teams coming up for this season. Then we'll be, it'll be WMB time. So if, if you haven't been with us for a full cycle, this is how it goes. There's the WNBA season. There's the postseason. There's a weird lull during the holidays where we all get busy. And then <laughs> there's the winter college season. And, uh, this is, this is it. We're a year round show. So, Boom. uh, we're going to figure out how to get the fever into the playoffs this year in just a matter of a couple weeks. So uh, <laughs> we'll get there. I have a feeling we'll this player you're going to be seeing a lot of this weekend too. Yes. I have something to say about that. Yes. One indeed. way or the other. Uh, for WNB Nation, I'm Logan Jones. I'm Steve Schwartzman. And we got you next time. You know, I'll see you in the